Hello, hello, K2H listeners. I'm I'm so excited uh, to be talking to some twins here, and I, I'm sure they hate this, but I want to start with that because, you know, how often do you get to talk to twin sisters who are doing a project together, a very meaningful book that covers immense kind of uh, context to history and people and places and time. So there's a lot to unpack in this small time, but let me just introduce them um, in a very general sense and then I'm sure things will become revealed as we speak. So I have here Ming and Hua Chen. They are a pair of Chinese American identical twins who love history, plucky heroes, and anything but Agatha Christie, okay. Graduates of Harvard and Columbia universities respectively, they live in Hong Kong and Los Angeles. They are the co-authoresses of three children's books, Escape, one Day We Had to Run, that's the first one. The second one is Sarsaparilla's New Shoes. And the third one is Ling Ling Looked in the Mirror. So Ming and Wa also made cameo appearances as twin vampires, Deming and De Hua. In the Ya series, Blue Buds, did Blue Bloods, Dare I Go There? Should we start with your vampire existence identities? Yes, so this Ming is Ming's, oh, go ahead Wa. <laughs> Ming and I, among other things, have vampires named after us cats um, from Ming's former boyfriend, Peter Blake, named his Siamese twin cats after us. There's a Ming and a Wa. Um, Ming unfortunately committed suicide by jumping out of an apartment window on Lexington Avenue as a cat. Our French teacher named her plants Ming and Wa and um, so forth. So um, Melissa Delacruz, the very talented and prolific author of the Blue Blood series, I went to Columbia College with. And so she um, it has immortalized us in her vampire series as Deming and Dewa, her sexy vampires. Very cool. <laughs> well, welcome, sexy vampire gals. So Thanks. We're glad to be here, Crystal. Yeah, thanks, Ming. And so it, it, this is great. You know, it's a truly transnational discussion we're going to have here. Um, one in Hong Kong, one in LA, me in Hawaii. Let's talk before we get into this book escape, which is really amazing, is let's talk about your identities as as Asian Americans. I wanted to address what's going on right now. You know, all the anti-Asian violence, um, what shaped you and, you know, how, how, you're, how this is all affecting you and in, in places you're surrounded by. So I can take that one. This is Ming. Um, basically, you know, when people say, where are you from? I always say New Jersey. So we grew up, we were born and raised in New Jersey, born in New York, and our parents came over for graduate school. So our identities, you know, I've lived in Hong Kong. I'm calling in from Hong Kong and where I've lived for more than 25 years. I've met you in Hong Kong, Crystal. Um, and basically, even though I've lived in Asia for probably longer, as long as I've lived in the U.S., I always identify myself as Chinese American from New Jersey. Okay. Our, our, our parents were born in Shanghai and we were raised in um, New Jersey, um, born in New York. And we've sort of had the blessings of an American childhood, an idyllic American childhood and all the privileges. Um, our parents sacrificed a lot to sort of uh, give us all of the opportunities and not deny us any experience, including being able to go to the best public schools in America and also matriculate to the best colleges um, and graduate schools. So what's happening now is really a call to action for people like Ming and I and our friends who are also Asian American, who've benefited from all the blessings of being American and yet um, need to uh, speak up for ourselves and, um, and 
yeah. make sure that, you know, we are not sort of uh, uniformly uh, discriminated against. Yeah, and it's real, isn't it? I mean, I don't feel it personally out in Hawaii, which is strange. There's no, I mean, it's not strange because it is predominantly Asian here, but at the same time, there there's not much vocalizing in terms of like movement to, to kind of, uh, activate people and to take action. So I, I don't know, according to the press I see and, and just the vibe I feel is overall people are genuinely scared. And yeah. how, how, how can we- So to, to that end, I mean, Juan, I have teamed up with, I know this is supposed to be about our book, but okay. Juan, I've teamed up with a group of old friends, Norman Chen, David Ting, Richard Ting, and Edward King to form Launch, which is a nonprofit that stands for Leading Asian Americans to Unite for Change. And we formed last fall um, around uh, making sure to get out the AAPI vote um, with the Biden-Trump election, because um, we felt like it was very important to, uh, to make sure that that our our that the Asian American voice was represented in the vote, um, and they turned out in historic numbers, or we turned out in historic yeah. numbers. Our next project is a um, survey, which is based on the Anti Defamation League survey of um, American attitudes towards Asian Americans, which we're calling Status Social Tracking of Asian Americans Throughout the U.S., which is asking about three thousand people around the U.S. who aren't Asian American or only Asian American what they think, um, what as a baseline survey of what they think about Asian Americans. And we hope to do it every year. Um, and yeah, mm. so we're trying to measure things so that we can start tracking and build programming around measurable data. Right, that's great. And, and what's segueing into your book is very relevant in that, you know, there's a recognition of Asian American voices now that need to be heard. And on top of that is recognizing the lack or the misrepresentation of Asian Americans across um, history. And uh, one of them is the invisibility of voices. And this is where you both as Asian American females, you know, lack, there's such a lack of this kind of representation in all industries. So in the- print, It's actually, yeah. yeah? I was just saying that to lead on to that, it was that actually our publisher, Lantana Publishing, which is based in the UK, is very much about bringing diverse voices into children's literature. Because if you look at children's book literature, it's pre predominantly told by, um, you know, uh, Caucasian, um, European, European Anglo st standpoint. Because um, so one of the driving missions of Lantana, which picked up Escape, um, was to make sure that diverse diversity was represented in children's Great. books. Great. So let let's pop into it then. I mean, what you how do you unpack a book like this? There's so much in each little word. So okay, it's called Escape. One day we had to run. Is that kind of the subtitle of it? Um, and and you you break it up into verbs, right? Action verbs, and these peel back a story of some historical figure during a particular time and place that did something that overcame some incredible hardship and made something of themselves. So speak to that. How did this book come to be? 
So I'll take that one, Wa. So basically, Wa and I have always been co-conspirators and um, bounced creative ideas off of each other. And when we were younger, we were brought up by a Cantonese nanny, Ping Jia, and she spoke not a lick of English. She lived with us in New Jersey for about nine years, and she spoke to us in broken Chinglish. Um, and her, the way she got to the United States was actually via Hong Kong, um, where she left um, China in the 1960s, 70s, when there was... Um, a spillover of um, of of a spillover of I guess the Cultural Revolution in China, and she swam from um, from southern China into Hong Kong, and that's when a lot of you know one of the stories in Escape is swim about a couple who tied themselves together and then basically swam um, to Hong Kong from what is now Shenzhen. She swam. You're the, the nanny. She's the yes. one who survived that harrowing shark-ridden ocean. My yes. Goodness. Wow. So the shortest route from Hong Kong to the mainland, mainland is about four kilometers. Uh-huh. Um, so two and a half miles, almost two and a half miles. She was very strong. She would carry us both as water bottles. Wait, how old um, was she when she did this? She was probably in her 40s. I want to say probably in her 40s, 30s or 40s. But it was really wonderful because she um, used the money that she earned as our nanny um, to build a really beautiful home in her village in southern China. And I think you have a lot of these stories of incredible um, stories of bravery and escape that are kind of overlooked by normal working people. Um, or when they become assimilated and start working, you don't really understand. Like actually, Wa has an example in, that we also used in the story. Well, why don't you tell them about Dart? Uh, uh, before we go to Dart, I just want to finish up with Swim. And, you know, our nanny's story is not special. There were, you know, hundreds of people who did leave um, or try and leave mainland China because of famine, because of the Cultural Revolution, because of, you know, not as many economic opportunities by swimming to Hong Kong. And we really wanted to do a full picture book about just the phenomenon of migration related to swimming. Um, But we had written a middle grade chapter book for another publisher. And when Ming and I were sitting at lunch in New York City with this other publisher brainstorming ideas, I had mentioned the story of our nanny who raised us. um, And Ming quickly said, well, why don't we do multiple stories of escape, like based on interesting action verbs? Like, why don't we do not just swim, but other things? And so um, the idea came extremely quickly and um, fell into place very quickly of a picture book with double page spreads on short historical true stories of escape. Um, And so we were able to, you know, it's one of those kismet things where it just sort of popped very easily. Yeah, but that... It's massive. Like, you know, just your Ping story is enough to make a beautiful book and story about it. You guys take on the task of bringing in, you know, crossing centuries and, and, and spaces. And I'm assuming that you connect it all with the bodies of water. But why did you choose to have such a massive um, approach to the we wanted to, we, Well, it's a great question, Crystal. We wanted to um, humanize migrant stories in sort of bite-sized chunks for kids and adults, um, you know, generally who are age seven and older, and to really put um, a hopeful human face on some of these refugee stories. Um, 
you know, uh, Ming had mentioned dart, which is a verb that I don't know if you want us to read. I don't know how much time we have to read. We can do it in the second part. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, dart about the migration of um, people from Central America and Mexico to the U.S. and Northern America feels particularly timely, um, given what's happening um, on the American border between Mexico and the United States right now. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported 172,000 migrants at the border this March. This is up 71% since February. NPR National Public Radio reported 19,000 migrant children stopped at the U.S. border in March, the most ever in a month. And now there's been politicization and criminalization of migrants, but Ming and I wanted to set that aside and focus on the human side, right or wrong with how people are entering or migrating. We wanted to focus on the pluck, the courage, the desperation um, behind some of these stories. So that's That's uh, a huge burden, a task to do. And when you mentioned those, those numbers, you know, every time I hear it in the news, it, it's, it's incredibly disturbing. And can you add, I can't even imagine like the space that can hold, you know, even when they say spilling over, it, this is just off charts, you know, we can't fathom the, the, dis, the extremity of the situation right now. Right. So you can't, it's so overwhelming that humanizing it in a particular story is probably a much more impactful way to understand. So tell us that story since we're here. Let's just tell us a little bit about that DART story. So DART is based on my colleague, um, Laura Alvarez's personal story of leaving her small town in Mexico when she was 21 years old. Now, currently she's a property maintenance manager um, with two successful American adult sons. She's an Obama dreamer. And um, like Apinjaya in SWIM, Laura's story is not unique um, with Mexican immigrants in California. Um, so- What did she do? What, describe what she did. What? Well, do you want me to read Dart Crystal or wait? Sure, whatever, however you want to describe it. Okay, so I'm going to read from Dart. Um, 21-year-old Laura Alvarez huddled near the U.S.-Mexican border, evading the United States Border Patrol. She had given her life savings to a coyote, a smuggler, to help her leave her small town in Mexico, where violent gangs dominated daily life and jobs were scarce. Believing in the promise of a better life on the other side of the border, she left her family behind and crossed mountains and a highway by foot. Hundreds of thousands of immigrants from Mexico and Central America have risked their lives crossing into New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, or California. Laura made it to Los Angeles where she's able to work hard as a property manager and raise two fine sons. And Dart is a picture of Laura huddled at the border Will they see me? Will they hear me? Will I make it? Mm. Okay, let's hold that thought and that image in our heads. Uh, this is Ming and Watchen from a new book called Escape. And uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna continue unpacking this uh, book called Escape 
uh, about, wow, well, you're hearing it and we're going to continue hearing it. So don't go away. Welcome back, K2H. I am here virtually on a very international time zone with Ming and Wa Chen, the authors of a children's book, Escape, which I don't really think is a children's book. And I know you mentioned it also isn't because it's really quite complex in... Uh, in revealing the stories of these harrowing journeys of people that we don't know about that represent a larger complex history and how we escape things and how we kind of overcome um, hard situations. And that's just reducing it. So I'm gonna stop talking and let them talk about the book. But I wanted to remind people, if you're still, if you're just tuning in, that this book is built around these action verbs, which is really brilliantly simple and striking. So there are verbs like cling, dart, defy, disguise, flee, and each of these verbs unravel a story. And so while you had just uh, before the break um, read a little bit from dart. Now, um, I'm sure there are so many stories that you had to leave out of this because I'm, there must have been a gazillion stories you wanted to put in. Can we talk a little bit about that process of what you chose to keep in and what not? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, several of the verbs were illustrated in double page spreads that ultimately the publisher and we collectively agreed um, we should leave out. Um, because again, this is a narrative nonfiction picture book for children. And we really did want to highlight more hopeful stories. Um, the ones that ultimately did not make it um, was the action verb hide, which was based on the Rwandan genocide, um, where you had this frenzied killing of neighbor versus neighbor. Um, Ford, which was stories of um, people crossing the um, Yalu River from North Korea through China to escape North Korea a shockingly high number of the females who have done this crossing and forded the river um, have been assaulted and have been taken advantage of. Um, another verb that we had illustrated and pitched but did not make it because it, it was difficult subject matter was thrash. And that one was about the um, migration from Cambodia through the jungles of Thailand to escape Pol Pot's regime in the 1970s, a terrible, terrible genocide. Um, so, and one of the challenges also is how do you pictorially visualize this? So our illustrator who's Spanish, Carmen Villa is incredibly talented. Yes, and Ming um, has worked had worked previously with Carmen um, at our company EF, um, a uh, for-profit education company that does amazing things. And Carmen was such a talented graphic artist that when we were writing this manuscript, she said, "I know the right exact right illustrator for it," and it was Carmen. Um, and she really we worked closely with her to art direct the pages, but she just has such a great eye and we look forward to working with her on the sequel. Mm, me too. I look forward to seeing more. But just to unpack a little bit more of all these different verb stories, including the ones that you had mentioned that were left out, these are again are all based on a personal story of somebody who shared that story, whether it was well known or, or, or unknown, correct? Correct. They're so all personal stories, true life stories. And, and there's just so much. I mean, it's so like, how much trouble did you have 
to find the words to contain it in such a small page, the life and the hardships that they went through. Like how much do you feel like you're reducing something? And is it just, is it more important to just get it out on the page? Or do you have plans to kind of unpack them in different forms in larger ways later on? Well, many of these stories were readily available, um, you know, beyond first person research for Laura Dart. A lot of these stories were readily available online in interviews, newspaper articles. And my um, prompt, I want to mention the prompt, this is Ming Sariwa, to butt in, is that the prompt for the disguise one, which was basically how people disguise themselves to escape, was Bonnie Prince Charles. And it was because I visited this castle in Scotland and all they had was his costume that he wore. So I think that, you know, a picture book or a children's book is one way of telling someone's story. Another might be a museum exhibit like they've done um, in many different museums, or it could be a first person narrative as a video. But, you know, our, 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 our goal was to tell it in a really simple way so people can get a sense. To hope that it may appeal to uh, readers to dig a little bit deeper into like, oh, well, who is this character and find out for themselves more the, the yes. stories, right? But and we would love for readers to pair this with an atlas too, because it really is an opportunity to uh, know a little bit of geography as well. Oh yeah, Americans suck at this. We are just like so clueless in the connections around the world. And you're putting it all together in this small form of a picture book. But can we just go back to disguise just a little bit? It's because that's the only one that struck me as kind of a, a gender um, issue embedded in that story. Uh, were there any conscious efforts of addressing gender and how that plays into kind of these, these roles and cultural you know, situations that people had to escape from? Well, the story itself is of Bonnie Prince Charles. For those of you who don't know, he was one of Scotland's most legendary escapes um, who, of Prince Charles Edward Stuart. And it was basically based in 1945 when the Protestants and Catholics fought over who would rule Scotland and England. And 1745, 1745. And he made an unsuccessful escape um, with the help of a woman, which in 1745, um, women's rights in Scotland probably were not high on the list. Um, and um, this woman actually helped him. Um, um, he disguised himself as a lady's maid named Betty Burke. Um, and so um, for the rest of his life, he had to dress up and escape capture. Again, this is before, you know, women's rights or even, you know, cross-dressing, right? right. So um, there you know, wasn't I think a that specific gender um, sensitivity to it other than relaying the historic story. But one really great, you know, sort of female empowerment story was the first story that leads off, which is Cling. And it's basically a story about don't let go, hold tight, never give up. And maybe I should read from it because it's yeah. quite inspiring. Okay. Um, fleeing the war-torn city of Damascus in Syria, two sisters, Yusara and Sarah Mardini, climbed into an overloaded dinghy in Turkey that was heading for Greece. Not far from a Greek island, the boat's engine died. The two girls jumped into the choppy waters to stop the boat from capsizing. The sisters clung for hours, for 
hours shivering with cold, helping direct the dinghy. A larger boat filled with refugees sped past but ignored their cries for help, as did the Coast Guard patrols. The boat's engine eventually sputtered to life and they reached the shore. They made it to Germany, where USARA completed in the 2016 Rio Summer Olympic Games as a swimmer for the refugee Olympic team. Like the sisters, millions of Syrians have been displaced since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. So in terms of, you know, female empowerment, there are lots of people on this dinghy. The two girls jumped in. That's, that's a crazy story that they survived that. I mean, actually, all of them are kind of crazy. Do you guys have personal favorites? Well, I have to say that my our nephew, Tyler Chen, was the one who really turned us on to Fly, which was about the um, man who created his own airplane to fly through the Iron Curtain from, um, you know, from Eastern Europe to freedom, relative freedom, um, and ultimately settled in the United States, I believe in Utah. Um, so I like that because, um, you know, our, our wonderful nephew was the one who, who, uh, who gave us the lead on that story. And it's also my son, Tommy's favorite one. So I think it resonates with them. It was a Czechoslovakian engineer named Ivo Zadarsky, um, who was living basically under the commun- other, behind the Iron Curtain. But all and of these were really Vienna. fun. All of, these, all of this was really fun to sort of conceptualize with Carmen um, in partnership with Carmen. And Ming, do you want to describe that process of visualization? Right. Yeah. Um, so we would talk about it. We read, we had references of things that we liked, like what we were drawn graphically to. And then like we Frank discussed. Stella or Bruce yeah. Molinari. Yeah. Ellsworth um, Kelly. And then Carmen, and then we talked about, and Carmen really, you can see in the book, she uses a wonderful perspective in each of the different ones. Um, and so it was really, it's been a lot of fun. We also have to give credit to our LA-based editor, Suki Garcetti, who helped us really refine the copy and, and pick out which verbs would work. Absolutely. How, is this going to be translated into different languages? Because it's we an international, so. yeah. But I know the question, reason I ask is because verbs, you know, language has different ways to translate, you know, vocabulary. It might kind of alter the context to certain words. Um, so it'd be an interesting process. We'd love Hopefully. to see it in more languages. We'd love to see it in more languages too. Um, we do have a sequel ready. Wow. Okay. Um, the sequel is um, tentatively entitled Reimagine. One day we remade the world. And this will have a similar template with you know action verbs, but all of the verbs are sort of based on how people have creatively pivoted to solve or address problems like wildfires, wildfires, um, animal extinction, urban blight, um, and other calamities. Do you think that in light of you know you're talking about in uh, you know climate issues and the devastation in what's happening across this world? Um, on, on racial, gender, uh, sexual, all these different levels, do verbs now need to be more, I don't want to say graphic, but you know, how a, a verb embodies what you're trying to say, do they need to be more accelerated into something more extreme to represent the times? Well, that's why the next um, the next sequel is really based on re, which is re revitalize, rebuild, reinvent, um, um, reconstitute, yeah. repatriate, reforest, 
uh, rewrite, which is history, research, resuscitate, rejuvenate. Um, we really wanted to pick interesting verbs. Ming and I loved actually studying for the SATs. <laughs> we really are those nerds that actually oh, no. enjoyed the verbal section of the SAT. I don't right. want to play Scrabble with both of you. Boggle. 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 Okay. So this book is about to be launched. Yeah. Tell us about that. When is that going to be? So we're super thrilled because the Holocaust LA Museum, which is a fantastic museum based in Pan Pacific Park in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, is hosting our book launch. May 4th, which is a Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Coast time. And um, people can register to get the Zoom link. It's free. Um, and, you know, we'd love to see as many people there as possible at the Holocaust LA Museum. That's May 4th. That's great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us in terms of this? And I also wanted to ask one more question. Again, being twin sisters and you've always been close, or is this pro project an excuse to kind of continue this connection and communication? Or is this something that just on the fly happened to fall on both of your passions list? No, one, one, I made a pledge to each other when we were in college because our dad is a pathologist and has written um, a, a number of books on liver. And we're like, well, okay, if dad can write a book on liver, we should be able to write a book. And then we said, okay, we should be able to do children's books, but we can't consider ourselves children's book authors unless we have three published titles that we did not publish ourselves. So this is our third published title. Wa wants to keep going. Um, so yeah. And Ming and I are, you know, very uh, addicted to achievement and this, uh, <laughs> Because, because uh, Ming and I have, you know, very busy day lives um, as working mothers. Uh, this is a very good creative outlet to kind of sublimate our anxieties. Correct, Ming? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that does not have to do with running. Yes, yeah. or exercise. <laughs> well, and don't make that an understatement, because can you just share a little bit about your, yeah, how running has become part of your life, like you'd be extreme. Oh, yes. I would say I'm, why is the more normal twin? Because she's only done 18 marathons. Um, I'm lazier. Was <laughs> a lazy twin. Um, I've done um, 71, which makes me sound quite 71 insane, marathons. Yes. So that's what makes while normal. <laughs> so a book lasts a lot longer than your knees. So I think that we're better off with focusing on getting more published ISPNs in the library oh, of Congress. And that's why we also included sprint as one of the verbs in escape. Of course. You know, the winner of the Boston New York Marathon is very famous runner, American runner named Meb. And his father um, has an amazing story of how he escaped war-torn Eritrea and got to Italy eventually. And then came to the United States and brought his family over, including Meb, um, by walking. So I guess you guys aren't going to dismantle that stereotype of overachieving Asians, are you? <laughs> no, we're, okay. we're enabling it. <laughs> All, right. All right, girl power. Hey, um, best of luck um, and looking forward to your marathon of children's books to come. Um, and I look Thank forward you, to inviting them and sharing more. So is there any other way people can learn about your book? Is the, um, what is your publisher? Oh, it's publisher? available on Lantana Publishing, Lantana's um, site, as well as Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So we hope readers will enjoy it. I think they will, as I did. Thank you so much. This is Thank so you, Crystal. Thank you.